Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. March is here, which means it's the most wonderful time of the year for college basketball as conference tournaments are upon us as we get closer and closer for the NCAA tournament. Things heat up in the NBA in both conferences as we finally start seeing if teams are reaping the rewards from some of the trades that were made a couple weeks ago and other teams hoping that the injuries that they might have won't be bad ones for the short slash long term major league baseball's pitch clock has been introduced for spring training many folks have thoughts about how that's been going impacting the game the same for college baseball as well and of course nothing circles the wagons quite like the national football league as across the world people for whatever reason watch folks in a t-shirt and shorts run jump skip and hop like we're at a military draft to see if their potential draft prospects will pan out of the National Football League based on how fast they can run or how high they can jump in their PEF flyers. Very interesting that people care about this, but everybody seemingly does about the NFL. Lots to get into, but fortunately, as college basketball fans, we can get into now some discussion about college hoops and where things stand with just one game weekend left in college basketball The Big 12 wraps up its season on Saturday. The ACC wraps up its season on Saturday. Conferences are already looking ahead and starting their conference championships for a nod into the NCAA tournament or to at least help themselves out. I now work for Big 12 Radio on Sirius XM. Despite being a Duke fan, you a Syracuse grad and longtime fan, obviously have some thoughts about how that program has been in the ACC. I will be attending the final game of the season on Saturday to watch Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick get their jerseys sent into the rafters to celebrate 20 years since Jim Beheim's lone national championship in 2003. Somehow feels like just yesterday, Hakeem Warwick was blocking that shot in the corner. But it'll be a celebration and really the only thing worth celebrating, unfortunately, for the way this Syracuse season has gone. And you could take it from there to start on how miserable things have been going, unfortunately, for the Orange this time around. Uh, Well, Johnny, what a great way to open the show as we welcome back all our friends as we head for the final weekend. I hope everybody's doing well. With March Madness now upon us and all the other things that you mentioned, including uh, the underwear Olympics as we get closer to the NFL draft. And uh, we'll touch base on the latest SEC nightmare uh, for what could have been the top pick in the draft. So that remains to be seen. But it has been another uh, disappointing year for the Cuse, my beloved alma mater. Uh, yes, it seems like 
yesterday that uh, Jerry Mack was knocking down those threes, and Carmelo Anthony as a freshman was the most outstanding player in the NCAA tournament. And it was uh, five Final Four appearances and uh, a one national title, and not too bad in 27 years or 35 years. But you know now it has been, uh, believe it or not, uh, 47 years for the old coach who is indeed the old coach. And the old report portion of this program, just to echo my moniker, uh, my freshman year at Syracuse was Jim Beheim's first year, 1976-1977. He has been a terrific coach for a long time. He has led them to five Final Fours, uh, to three finals, to one national title. But it looks like the time has finally come. He coached his two kids uh, through last year, his first losing season ever. And this year it looks like it's going to be a 500 season, barely at best, because they have fallen apart down the stretch. Four incredibly embarrassing losses in succession, all by double digits. It was the beginning of a stretch where if they played well, and potentially won them all, they possibly could have gotten at least on the bubble. Uh, But that burst quickly, huge double-digit loss to Duke to start the four-game scheme, on the road to Pitt, blasted, blown out at at Clemson, and then the the cherry on the Sunday, back home to Georgia Tech, or back home for Georgia Tech. One in nine in the road on the conference, and Georgia Tech just shoots the lights out. Everybody has a career high. The zone gets shredded like Swiss cheese. It's a total train wreck. Uh, They lose by 20 to Georgia Tech. It's just become, I don't want to say an embarrassment, but an exercise in mediocrity. Good players, not living up to expectations, very streaky. Playing incredibly poorly. I don't know if the coaching or lack thereof has anything to do with it. He has three former point guards on his staff. The aforementioned Jerry McNamara. uh, Adrian Autry, who was before Jerry McNamara in the early 90s. uh, Here from New York City, a four-year starter. And Alan Griffin. All of whom played the point guard for him. All of whom were on the bench. And any one of them could be tabbed a successor. Who knows if it's going to be Adrian Autry's job. It was supposed to be Mike Hopkins' job, who was even before them. And the longtime head assistant, coaching, waiting. And then when Beheim decided he was going to stay, Hopkins left for Washington. It's time. If it was ever time, now is the time. Because the zone has outlived its usefulness. It was incredibly effective. It was difficult to deal with. Part of it was the way it was coached because it wasn't your standard 2-3. Part of it was the schemes. Part of it was the personnel. Uh, None of the above is working now because it's not played as well. They don't have the players to play it as well. And the game has changed so much where the three has become so dominant. Everybody can shoot the three. And 
in the ACC, they're used to seeing it now. They all see it twice a season for the most part. And everybody lights it up from Duke to Clemson to Georgia Tech to NC State to North Carolina. They can't rebound out of it. And they get lit up every night. Every night from three, they get outscored. Every night from three. Every once in a while, somebody throws up an occasional stinker from three. They rebound, re- rebound well out of it. And, you know, they've got some talent. You know, Joe Girardi third, you know, uh, Judah Mintz, who's a terrific potential freshman of the year in the ACC. He probably won't get it. Your Duke big boy will probably get it, but, you know, doesn't deserve it any more than Mintz should. Uh, Benny Williams, who struggled first half of the year, has had a nice little comeback uh, back in the starting lineup. But Bayheim has become crotchety, uh, angry. He's always bitching. He's never happy. The other night, you know, after a game, you saw the quotes. The game's in, not in a good place. He bitches about the I and L. That's what chased Coach K out. That's what chased, uh, you know, Jay Wright out. That's what chased uh, Roy Williams out. Well, you know, if you don't like it, Jim, it's time to get out. Because he's he's literally in my mind, and I've been a longtime supporter. It's a lot of Bayheim bashers but I've been a longtime supporter and because of his success and, you know, there's been some scandals here and there, but nothing major. And again, five final fours, three trips to the finals and a championship. But we're now at the point where he's on the verge of, you know, getting to the stage where Bobby Knight was at Indiana, where the more you open your mouth, the more you're embarrassing the universe. And it's one thing if you're putting up W's and going to the postseason, going to Sweet 16s, going to Final Fours. But now he's doing none of the above. He's been there since 1976-77. The Dome is not packed as we've been used to seeing over the years, as we've grown accustomed. I'm really curious to see how many show up for this last regular season game this weekend when you go for Jerry McNamara's retirement and Akeem Wolk's retirement of the Jerseys. But the program has fallen into mediocrity. They've got their big INL guy who throws a million bucks around to potential candidates, you know, not just to come and play, but, you know, to work and do community service, et cetera, all the I's dotted and T's crossed. And he still bitches about it. Well, Jim, this is where the game is. And if you're so disenchanted with it, then it's time to go. Instead of doing yourself a continued disservice, because now you're embarrassing yourself and the university. And if he doesn't knock it off, he's going to follow in the footsteps of Bobby Knight, where he's not going to write his own ticket out they are going to have to tell him it's time for him to go. And I'd hate to see it end that way because this is the second winningest coach in NCAA Division One history, even more so if not for the 100-plus wins they took away, um, which you know they, he won the games. If you add them in, he's over, over 1,100 wins behind only Coach K. And still, he's only the only one ahead of him is Coach K. But unfortunately, it's now become uh, – a case where you've 
you, you watch them and you pretty much see the same thing every game. You see sloppy basketball. Uh, you see lack of rebounding. You see a zone that gets eaten alive from inside and out uh, any way you want to slice it, no pun intended. And uh, you see players making mental mistakes constantly. And the program is eroded. And it's a shame because it's been a great extended run of continued longevity. And it looks like it's come to an end for him. And we all say, you know, father time always wins. Father time is winning again. Jay Wright got out. Coach Williams got out. Coach K got out. It's time for Jim Beheim to get out. It's shocking to me that he's still coaching for several reasons. The main one being that we all assumed, while you should never assume, we did, that he was sticking around to finish out coaching his kids, which would be completely understandable. He drafted, recruited, got Buddy Beheim to play, and then when COVID hit and when it was easier to transfer, here comes his other son, Jimmy, from Cornell. An amazing story that he's going to get an opportunity to coach both his sons for one season, the last one for Buddy, and then, in a sense, right off into the sunset. What more do you need to prove? Then you can understand, all right, well, COVID fucked everything up for a couple seasons, and this NIL transfer portal world crept into college hoops and college athletics. So maybe you think, all right, you'll stick around for a couple years and see if you can man those waters and test them out. And maybe that's a challenge and keeps you going. And it's something that's going to make things more fresh. Start anew, do that for a couple seasons, figure it out. And then your successor can have maybe an easier path taken over for your position because you can help them along with, okay, here's what I've learned from NIL. Here's how you should attack the recruiting process. Here's how we'll handle the monies and how maybe we could spread all that around so we can get some players to come in and make some money off their name, image, and likeness. Here's how the transfer portal can help us if you want to run 2-3 or go to man or how that's going to impact things. I can understand all that. But it just seems like he doesn't want to leave the party. But you've already done what you had to do at the party. Like if you were the main band or the main act you did your performance everybody loved it but now it's time to go home it's okay party's over party's over party's over party's over it's time to go turn out the lights not gonna sing we've been to the late great don meredith but it's to the point now where you're sitting on the stage with a half drink bottle of whiskey nobody wants to listen to you about the state of the game it's not going to change anything Nobody wants to hear a crotchety old guy get off my lawn style, stand up at the podium, and complain about where the game is, where he could go and leave it. Because nothing he's going to say is going to turn back time. It's not going to turn back the clock. You're not going to the Big East. You're not going back to the days of Syracuse Georgetown, Syracuse St. John's, Big East Tournament, the old Big East Tournament in the Garden. You're in the ACC. 
That's the move they made. You said it was football driven. You were right. You didn't want to go. You stayed for it. You're there for it. You got to another Final Four. Stunning Virginia and Gonzaga. Now, you have to deal with the portal. You have to deal with uh, image and likeness. And if you don't like any of it, 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 it's time to go. The kids are gone. The kids are grown. They're out of the program. Don't take the program down with you. And that's what he's in the process of doing. We've heard from coaches. When NIL first came out, we still hear from coaches in the off season, when the season starts, when the season ends, they're asked, how have things been going with NIL? How are things going with the transfer portal? How are you adapting to this new world of college basketball? And almost every coach to a man is going to tell you how fucking hard it's been. It's hard enough being a head coach now in 2023 and recruiting these dudes to want to play for you when you used to maybe coach them a different way 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. You can't coach that way anymore. You can't be throwing chairs across the courts. You're going to be recorded on a phone and go viral for your stupid. You have to learn and adapt and fight constantly every day and then new rules sort of just get slapped onto the desk and say, all right, figure it out. Nobody was around or in position of power to sort this thing. It's still running rampant. Coaches are still figuring it out. It's hard. I don't know why Jim Beheim, especially after seeing so many of his colleagues who have been longtime coaches in the NCAA say, hey, man, I've had my fill. No sense going gray or trying to figure this shit out. I have no problem hanging it up and having somebody else do it. I'll still support the program, obviously. I'm not going anyplace, but I love doing it in the stands. You figure out how all this is going to work. And we're still years away from coaches getting hired to run programs who have, in a sense, grown up in this lifestyle or this system that is now college athletics. Because everybody's still figuring it out. We're 10 years away from this up-and-coming 30-something dude who was on the staff right out of college, and he's been immersed in this world for his entire coaching career, and he's sort of gotten it figured out. And he might move up the ranks as the next savant of the sport instead of being the guy that does the four-corner offense or the 2-3 zone or the man-to-man or they use this type of Princeton three-point shot. It's, oh, wow, this guy figured out all the stuff off the court to build one of the best programs in college basketball, and then people will take from him. But for Jim at 78 years old to still want to do this, I understand that this has been your life. And who am I to say, hey, man, stop doing the thing that you love and you've built your entire livelihood around? Enough, because I say so, and so do others. Well, he, he, he looks miserable. Uh, he acts like he's miserable. So if you're miserable, pack it in. 
Don't expose everybody else to it, including your players, your, your school, the fans, the media. It just, it, it's a bad look and it's an awful way to finish what has been a fabulous Hall of Fame career at the school you went to, played with Dave being at, and have coached at the rest of your life. Basically, what we're saying is there's a chance that not only are we watching Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick's jerseys go up to the rafters on Saturday, it could potentially be the last game for Jim Beheim. The last home game, the last home game, the last regular season game, yes, before we hit the ACC tournament, in which they in all likelihood will be one and done. Because uh, you don't firing. think, do you think he would do a tour, like announce it before a season, or do you think when he does finally go, he'll just do it? It's not going to be a thing. Uh, who knows? I, I, have, I have no idea. I thought I knew. I thought I knew uh, based upon the way things were set up when it was supposed to be Mike Hopkins' job that he was going to make the announcement. Then it looked like it was going to be, you know, two more years, you know, the next stage. And now it's, uh, you know, I still love coaching. And when I feel like I don't want to do anymore, I'll let you know. So, you know, he has continually for the last few years, basically left it up in the air. So I have absolutely no clue as to whether he whenever he decides that he's not going to do it anymore, if there's going to be some you know, grand final tour, which I hope there isn't. I, I, I just hope there isn't because the way they are right now with the program, I, I just don't see it being you know, a very successful grand finale. Uh, at least this year, he could go out 500 or maybe one over if they win uh, the final game of the season against Wake Forest, which I doubt they will do. The way they've been playing, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they get blown out again at home. Wake's pretty good. And uh, they're coming off a four-game stinker. So uh, I, I just have not got a clue as to how he is going to proceed and when or how he's going to decide uh, when is the right time for him. Because it's certainly as uh, an alum and a long time, absolute positive SU fanatic, uh, it's time for me. Yeah, it's something that I think if you're lucky enough to be a fan of a team that has a coach like this that's been around for most of your lifetime or your whole lifetime, there will come a time where you're looking around and thinking, is this it? People felt that way about Coach K when he went out last year. And it was, it was time in a lot of ways. This new stuff has been hard. Why put yourself through it? And there was a time very early on when, you know, for example, when we were there, uh, when we started with him, uh, we thought he couldn't coach a leg. Co coach, coach a leg. He was the top assistant, and Roy Danforth uh, took the Tulane job. 
a couple of years after they had gone in the final four in 75. And Bayheim got the job. And he got a couple offers to leave uh, when he was there. He didn't take them. And you know, we thought he was just this, you know, bespectacled uh, you know, nerd in lousy sport coats that had great talent that couldn't coach a lick. And then you know, you get a little older and you know, you start to realize that you know, maybe if Louis Orr was your best player, the late great Louis Orr, or Dale Shackelford or Marty Burns, who was a first-round draft pick and had a cup of coffee with the Lakers in the NBA. If those were the – and Roosevelt Bowie, who played his whole career in Europe, as a second-round pick for the Mavericks. Maybe if those were your best players, maybe your talent wasn't that great. But, you know, when you're in college and everybody you know, is dunking over their heads and jumping out of the gym and you, you get the longest undefeated winning streak in the country at home, you don't lose for four years at home and you go to the tournament every year. Uh, you think, well, you know, why aren't we going to the final four? You know, when you're in the top 10, top 15, top 20, top five, uh, you know, you don't, if you don't get the final four, you can't coach. And, you know, every year you're in the tournament and every year you're in the sweet 16 and then you go to a final four and you lose it to going to Indiana and then you have continued success and you're going to the Sweet 16 every year. They go in the Elite Eight. And then you have the great run in 96 with John Wallace and the Miracles. Uh, and you go somehow, some way to the finals and lose to an all-time Kentucky team. And he makes headlines with his beautiful new wife, his second wife. Um, you realize he's a hell of a coach. And college basketball is starting to realize He's a hell of a coach. And then you have Carmelo Anthony come along and you win a national title. Um, you go to one more Final Four uh, 10 years later with a terrific run of teams, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, uh, where you're number one in the country for a stretch, uh, a one seed, losing the Elite Eight, losing the Final Four, don't make the tournament in a couple of years, then have this miraculous run one more time where you stun Virginia and stun Gonzaga uh, to go to the Final Four one last time. And uh, you know, it's been this continued success over all these years. So obviously, you know, he, Hall of Fame, he's a great coach, recognized by everyone to be a great coach. But everything must come to an end. And, and the program has downgraded significantly. They're not getting the caliber of players and recruits that they have in the past. And the success on the court has turned to, you know, mediocre. When I was younger, I didn't know the definition of mediocre. I thought it meant incredibly bad. I thought it meant awful. Mediocre is average. And that's what the program has become. After all these years of being an upper echelon, and for a good chunk of time, elite program during his uh, 47-48 years, it is now a mediocre program in the big scheme of NCAA basketball. Syracuse, it pains me to say it, is mediocre. And 
unfortunately, it looks like that's how he's going to go out whenever it is he chooses to tell us and everyone else that he's decided to hang it up. It's just always fascinating to think about across college basketball, what makes young players want to play for the coaches that they play for. For the older guys, you wonder, like, how did they learn about Coach K? Easier to do. How do they learn about Tom Izzo? I mean, these guys now, some of them are older than they were than the last time the coach won a national championship. So what do you just look up at the banners and assume success? Like you still have to meet this guy, see if he's good for you, for your future, for your family, all of that. And we know that coaches aren't the same as what we see in press conferences before and after games. We don't get to see what they're like on the court or in the locker room, most likely for good reasons too. That's not stuff that they're going to want to have out there for the public. But you come to think of, of guys like Jim Beheim now, it's like, who wants to go play for this old man who hasn't won a national championship since I've been one year old? I've talked to Jerry. I've talked to the assistants. They seem great. They love it here. I can't speak more highly of the guy. But he's over there dozing on the chair, and we got practice at 10 minutes. What's going to happen? It's always an interesting thought of how you keep this young generation who can't keep a five-second attention span engaged to be successful with your program. Coaching is hard in 2023. So we'll see if this is it for Jim Beheim on Saturday and after the ACC tournament wraps up. Now people start looking as well, Al, at the top 25 list to see who might be good in college basketball this year. It's not an easy list this, this year around. This is, and I have been following college basketball for uh, you know, 50, 1967, 58 years, 57 years as a little kid, um, reading books, magazines, statistics watching college games wherever I could find them. You know, back in the days of Pistol Pete Maravich and the great Calvin Murphy, uh, Austin Carr, obviously, Luel Cinder, Bill Walton, David Thompson. Uh, you can Google all these kids, all, all, all these great players, folks. Uh, just boom, boom, Google them. You'll see them. They were all-timers. Some of the greatest players I've ever seen in my life and, some of the greatest players in history, college basketball. You know, you know Duke, North Carolina. You don't know the heyday of UCLA. Um, it is without a doubt, and I, I honestly can say, I don't even think it's close to anything I've seen before in terms of the you know, it's the most wide open this is the most wide open competition for going to the final four and winning a national championship not that i can remember that without a doubt unequivocally 
in all the years I've been following college basketball, and it's not even close. That's how wide open this field is without any true, I don't even want to say dominant team, but at least something remotely resembling a favorite. You know, whether it's Houston or Kansas or Purdue or Alabama, there is nobody out there who is anything remotely resembling, I don't want to say head and shoulders, but just the best team that I've seen all year. Kansas is the toughest team I've seen all year. They're the defending champs. They are... I love Bill Self. I've told you this before. I've said it many times on this program, on this podcast. I think Bill Self is the most, somehow, some way, the most underrated and underappreciated coach in all of college basketball. And his teams, this team especially, they don't have that much talent. They play incredibly hard, and they are gritty. They are incredibly resilient. They're not very good. And when I say they're not very good, you know, obviously they're, they're a good basketball, college basketball team. But when you watch them, you can see that this is not a great team. They don't have you know, all-world players everywhere. They've got, what we're seeing across college basketball is a lot more older players. You know, the one-and-dones, there's still some around. But a lot of these teams, Purdue with the big guy that I'm watching now against Wisconsin in a one-point game, they have a lot of older players, players that have gone through the portal, players that are staying uh, for the image and likeness. So now they've got a reason to stay in college because they get a good dollar. They'll transfer to do it. So you're seeing a lot, even in Kentucky, you're seeing the, the for the, the perennial one-and-done squad, you're seeing a lot more upperclassmen, uh, graduates on these teams. And the cohesion isn't what you're used to seeing because they're not there together that long, but they're bigger guys physically. They're stronger guys physically because they're grown men now. A lot of them are, are 22, 23, some are 24 years old. and it's changed. You don't have a lot of baby faces out there. Have you been a fan of that? Like the transfer portal really contributing to much older rosters. I think what's different is it's older rosters, but not the same faces like you're mentioning, where you'll see a fifth year senior, but it's his fifth year and it's his first at a different school. Like he did the floor right. and he left to maybe find something uh, different. Here's, here's, I like it. it. It's a bit of a double-edged sword for me. I believe the kids, and we're going to get into this, obviously, this, this thorny topic uh, of which there's no real great answer on how to get the kids some compensation uh, because it's the Wild West, as everybody has said, with no real regulations or control. I, I like the fact that they can now you know, get paid for their image and likeness. But I don't like the free-for-all where you can just go indiscriminately from school to school. The portal shouldn't be wide open. I would like to see one freebie. You know, it used to be when you transferred, you had the redshirt for a year, which was tough. It's tough on the kid, 
stuff on the program, but the transfer portal is based, and you get exceptions, hardship cases, whatever the case may be. So you're going to have to sit out. Now it's a free reign. I'm okay with that once. Everybody gets one free free ride where you get the transfer and you don't have to sit out the year. But once you do it a second time, you should have to redshirt. I don't like the idea that a guy can bounce from one school to the next and keep cashing in on the INL money. Uh, school after school after school after school. If you can do that, you got to sit out here because it makes it harder on the coaches. It makes it harder. Not that the coaches have got this tough job. I know you said they do, but they get obviously compensated very well. But it makes it tougher to coach. It makes it tougher on the programs. It makes it tougher on the kids that are there where you've constantly got not just recruits coming in, but guys coming in without having to sit out. Um, and it makes it harder to, it makes it harder to recruit because you never know what the hell the case is going to be. Nor do the recruits know because you can't even really give them a good explanation of what it's going to be of who you're recruiting, of who may show up at your door. So I think it's created catch-as-catch-can. Like I said, it's a double-edged sword in that I like seeing some older rosters, but it it's not that you're seeing these rosters where it's the same guys playing together, which is what we used to see and hope for for two, three, sometimes even four years. It's this new face who transferred in, this new face who transferred in, this graduate student who's done playing and has taken his last year, this guy who's taking advantage of his 27th year because of the virus. Um, you know, so I, I, I have found it to be um, frustrating from a fan standpoint in that it's this revolving door for kids coming and going. I do like, as I said, seeing some older kids get their chance because I believe playing is, you know, my son just finished his career, you know, playing college baseball. I, I think it's great to have the opportunity to play. The more kids who have the opportunity to play, I think is terrific. But I, I don't think it should be this freewheeling ability to transfer at a moment's notice uh, whenever you feel like it. Yes. The program has no loyalty to the kids, so why should the kids have loyalty to the program? I understand that, and and that's the counter side of the argument. But I like some continuity, and I think we've lost a lot of that. So it really is for me, it, you know, a, a double edged sword in terms of the benefits and the detriments of it as a fan. I wouldn't mind seeing it slow down in that you're able to keep kids longer because of NIL opportunities where they don't want to leave your school because of what you can provide for them. Not, well, everybody put their offers on the table and I'll decide what's best monetary-wise for me to leave to. I wouldn't mind them changing that rule where you get one free pass to leave and then you can't go again unless you sit out a year like it used to be. Some sort of penalty. Now, my caveat to that is if your coach leaves, that changes things for me. I think you should be able to leave if your coach also leaves in a certain time frame. I don't know what that time frame would be, 
But if your coach bounces and you want to go too, I'm fine with that. Even if you had just yeah, because the coach the when the coach when the coach who recruited you leaves, you know, I I think you know kids should have the option to to make the move as well. I you know I, I absolutely agree with that, especially if it's the coach that recruited you. Right. But I think it's been a lot more exciting this year, and that's why it's kind of as wide open as it is because it, you it's have a total, the it's age. a total total crapshoot. And you have, I think it took teams a while to kind of figure out how to play with each other once all they're this movement happened. Figuring, and they're still they're, figuring it out. Right. They're still figuring it out. Right. The coaches are still figuring it out. How to deal, like you said before, it, it, it is hard. You know, they're, they're trying to figure out how to recruit. They're trying to figure out who to recruit. They're trying to figure out where to recruit. They're trying to figure out who's available. Suddenly, you've got this huge, massive amount of additional players available. You didn't have to use, you didn't have available before, so you know, it, it's it's a tall order, and it creates a lot of hectic situations. You know, who's coming? Who's going? Guys leave much quicker. You know, they're not playing one season. Boom, they're gone because the opportunities they're good go somewhere else. You don't have to sit out. Boom, off you go. So it really creates so much. Uh, you know, mobility for the kids. But on the other hand, every program seems to be, you know, for the most part in a transitory stage, which I don't like. It'll be exciting for some of these conference tournaments. Teams end up playing for their tournament lives. Teams play for their seedings, which obviously impacts how their road will play out for being able to win six games and win the national championship. So we're at the point where excitement is here and we'll see what happens with these conference tournaments moving forward. And then obviously selection Sunday, will really kick things off and we'll have it all for you because we know all, and it'll be a cakewalk picking a bracket this year. You just well, can of corn. Can of corn. We have such a great success. Of course. You know, history. Yeah. Uh, on this program of, you know, picking winners. This is, I mean, we talked about that. not even doing one, but we will. It, really it'll be it'll be another postseason in which we show our total inability uh, to be successful with respect to choosing winners, uh, brackets, regionals, regional finals, and obviously the ultimate. Uh, the and you know, Al McGuire is the one who coined the phrase "the big dance," but if you go back to the history of it, he was referring to the Final Four. Yeah. That was the big dance. He he called the big dance the final four. Eventually, it evolved into the tournament itself. So you can Google that one too. Google that one too, kids. That's the late great coach Al McGuire, uh, who was a, a, a living legend for those of us who love college basketball. Well, you talked about being mediocre, and maybe we could just set the bar there for in a couple weeks. We'll just set it at mediocre and we'll see if we could surpass that. If not, we'll be like Syracuse, which that's a high bar for us to reach. (laughs) (laughs) So there's where we're at with college basketball. Don't pay too much attention to the top 25 rankings as of yet, because they don't really know who's doing what, who's good, who's not the metrics, the net, the Ken palms, It'll all play itself out at some point when Joe Lenardi emerges like the groundhog and shoots the white as, and black smoke as into we the discussed, air. Look, as we discussed last week, 
Five and eleven West Virginia in the conference is in. Need we say more? It's looking good for old Bob Huggins. One more game left, and then the conference tournament. But at this moment, it's looking good. I told my son Justin the other night to check out Coach Huggins. It literally looked like he's now shopping at Omar's, Omar the Tent Makers, uh, clothes store. Uh, Bob, what are you wearing? I think I mean, as long as it gets over his head now, that's that's the real that's all. As long as it, it makes it, it over his head, it looks like it looks like he's in a poncho. I mean, <laughs> from head to toe, just a sweat poncho, a, a poncho and parachute pants. He spends half the press conference just wiping his brow because I'm sure that that's not circulating air quite well. That garbage bag, yeah. West Virginia, yeah. whatever you'd like to call it, pullover jacket. Not great. You know, but we whatever. we met him at the '96 Final Four. He's, he's a funny guy. Um, we had a chance to you know, sit down, and talk with him for a little bit, and he, he's got a great sense of humor. He's rough. He is he's rough. Gotta, he's, he's tough he's to gotta, figure out. Uh, when you're interviewing you him on a show, you have to come prepared with 50 more questions than you think, because he'll just. His answer for a lot of them of late is, what's changed with your team? How have you managed to win a couple games and move forward? We've been making shots. And that's his answer. So you better have something ready after that. you got to move on. Next question. I mean, that's what you're going to get sometimes. Or he'll give you a 10-minute diatribe about his travel schedule and how they're getting in at 5.30 in the morning some nights because they have to fly here and take the bus there and drive this way, and then kids are going to class the next morning, and it'll go on for 10 minutes about how ridiculous it is. Now we got some. Or you'll get, he's a good kid. All right, <laughs> next. What do we have next? So it's difficult, but I think it would be the best place to sit with Bob Huggins, and I'm sure people have, told, have these tales that have done it, in his office, after the game, whatever bottle he's got in the desk on the on the <laughs> on the top of the desk, two glasses, one thing of ice, and you just chat for a couple hours. Get in his comfort zone. Got to get in his comfort zone. Smoke a cigar if he's into that. Whatever he's doing, lean back in the chair, and that's where it's at. Because anything else is is just kind of like, well, I kind of have to do this. I don't really want to do this. That would be something where you would at least hope he's, he's wanting to do. So that's a bucket list item for us. Maybe we can get part of the show. We'll record a podcast sitting there after a, a game or a practice and see if he wants to chat with us about how things are going. Before we get out of here, we wanted to just update the situation that's now overflowing into the NFL draft because of the magnitude of the situation and, of course, it having to deal with one of the best players for the draft. Jalen Carter was back in the news the other day. Obviously, the Georgia star. He was arrested on charges of reckless driving and racing in connection with the crash that killed one of his teammates and the recruiting staff member who was driving in a separate car. More came out on the case that he was basically drag racing with them. And at the end of the crash, left the scene came back later. They asked if they were driving recklessly. He said, oh, no, I was over at this over this other apartment. Well, actually, I was driving with them. I heard the crash. Heard well, actually, I saw the crash. So his story changed a couple times, and then they finally put all the pieces together and brought him down to the courthouse. He got out on $4,000 bond and went back to the combine. 
But now, of course, this might impact his draft status. He was expected to be a top pick. People have brought back the reporting from Todd McShay a couple months ago about his character and how he was as a person. And now it's just kind of all snowballing in the wrong direction for Jalen Carter dealing with the combine heading into the draft and what teams are going to want to do with him now, whether or not this is going to impact his status. It's an terribly unfortunate situation just on its face as humans. And then, of course, when you add on to when it's happening, not great either. So another terrible wrinkle for this story. For all you folks out there who are not familiar with him, this will be a great opportunity for all of you uh, sports fans, media fans, uh, to get a look at the one and only Drew Rosenhaus in action. And if you're not familiar with him, Drew Rosenhaus is one of the premier, most accomplished, most successful agents in all of sports, who when you listen to him talk and watch him talk, you want to go shower for maybe a week. Uh, He is the ultimate mouthpiece. After he finishes speaking, you really wonder if there's anything truthful that he said. He is such a shitheel and such a slimeball. He has been for years. I watched him when he first started many, many, many moons ago. He went to the University of Miami. He hooked on with players. And years ago, they had him do to give fans an idea of what a contract negotiation was like. They had a young Drew Rosenhaus with one of his first clients who was a defensive back do a negotiation with the late, great Jim Finks, who was a legendary GM. And Drew Rosenhaus was trying to sell Jim Finks on how his client, a defensive back, even though it looked like nobody had him as a first-round pick, was a first-round talent. And Jim Fink's eyes were rolling back up in his head to the point it was like, get me. And Jim, later on, fast forward, you know, he became very successful, got a ton of Miami guys. If you remember the Warren Sapp fiasco, when Warren Sapp sunk in the draft, because word came out that he was smoking rafer. And there was Drew Rosenhaus, front and center, cell phone in hand. Oh, there's the call. Not yet. There's the call. We're waiting patiently. I don't want to impersonate him because I can't sink that low in terms of the way he, just the way he speaks. You know, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, chances are it's a duck. Um, that's the deal with Rosenhaus. Um, he's made a ton of money, been incredibly successful, but it's a guy just, you've heard, I've heard and read stories about how, you know, he stole clients from his mentor when he first started out and he's just made an absolute fortune for himself and his agency. Uh, his brother works with him and he's got, a ton of high-profile players every year. 
And I'm, I'm very curious to hear what he's going to have to say about Jalen Carter. Again, facts still to come out. You know, remember, folks, this happened back in January. We read about it when it happened. We did not read about Jalen Carter being involved. We read about the accident after the celebration and the car being driven by the, what was her? It was a gal, correct? Yeah, she was the recruiting. Name escapes me. She was the twenty-four, like recruiting staff member. She was recruiting staff member. She's driving with one of the football players. She's driving a car that's not supposed to be used for social purposes, according to the university, only for recruiting purposes. Turns out she was driving over a hundred miles an hour. She was unfortunately uh, under the influence of alcohol. Beyond well be above the legal limit and she and her passenger one of uh the georgia players she's in the driver's seat he's in the front seat they crash they both die and apparently two other cars were involved uh, in the racing weaving illegal slash reckless driving. Uh, and one of them was driven by Dylan Carter. Whether or not that was the cause of the accident, we don't know. Uh, will we ever know? I, I would think that's part of the investigation as to whether or not his participation may have brought about the accident. Uh, right now he's charged with what he's charged with, which are misdemeanors, uh, which is, uh, you know, the reckless driving. And we'll see if he's charged with anything further. I would think it is going to have some negative impact on his draft status and where he ultimately goes uh, because he was going to be you know, certainly a top five guy. And now that remains to be seen. But this to me, is part and parcel of where we are with the big programs. Look at what's happened in Alabama with Jaden Miller, excuse me, and NATO's. Forget about the fact that this transpired with Jaden Miller and a, a young mother died and he was at least in the vicinity and the car he drove had the gun in it, we still don't know the facts. I've said before, I have no problem with him playing. But then the next home game, when he goes out for the starting lineups, they continue to do what they've done all year with this goofy scenario where they pat him down. Can someone please tell me, and I asked Chris Plank this the other night on the air, is there anybody at the University of Alabama who has an IQ above room temperature? School president, athletic director, head coach, staff, players, Coach Saban, anybody anywhere ever have the brainstorm that, yo, guys, you know that pat down thing you do? during the starting lineups and the intros. Let's can that after what transpired. 
not a good idea, not a good look. And they go ahead and do it, which is incredibly distasteful and incredibly offensive with no notion whatsoever of what transpired. And what does NATO say? Well, I don't know what we do in the intros. Uh, you know, I'm busy diagramming plays. I don't, are, are you kidding me? Could you, could you continually come off any worse? You know, at the end he says, you know, it, it was distasteful and it, it won't be done again. Yet, yet, how, how far in the sand can your head be buried? You have no idea what your team does in introductions? This, Nate, Nate, this isn't the third game of the year. How do you have no idea? Every one of your assistants doesn't know what's going on? Right, that's exactly it. Where is an assistant or a ball boy or a water girl to say, hey, you might want to check this out, man? Uh, the athletic director is at every game. The school president is at every game. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody sees the pat-down intro. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand it's the South, but how fucking dumb can you be? I mean, how out of touch are these fucking morons? Your best player drove a car at 1.30 in the morning to a busy area where people are partying and drinking and obviously an altercation occurred and that car transported a gun which you may not even know was in the car as I said before may have had no idea which somehow got into the hands of another one of his teammates which got into the hands of his teammate's friend which killed the woman and as I said before I'm sick and tired of hearing the curbstone lawyer so, well, if he wasn't a star player, you know, he'd be thrown off the team. All right? Well, wake up, have an understanding of what's going on, know your facts, because the teammate of his who was in the front seat with him is not a star player and is also not being charged and is also still on the team. So it's not the special treatment for the star player alone. And the other player is not a star player. The only kid who's kicked off the team was the kid who took the gun, whose gun it was. That's the kid who's not with the team. So it's not, you know, it's not just for the star. His teammate in the front seat, still on the team. But now you have this incident back in January, it, it, it's well effed, and I understand they're partying. They want, I was in college, uh, up all night, but do, do these teams have curfews anymore? Number one team in the country, USA, Alabama, national champions, Georgia, Kirby Smart, top of the college football world. These guys just run rampant. Just let them run wild. You know, what, what happened to the notion of, and I understand that they're not these kids' keepers, but, but what happened to the notion, you know, 
we'll take care of your son. And I understand you can't follow him around. And I understand I got in the car and I drove after I drank. And I drove over 100 miles an hour. And I did crazy things when I was in my late teens and early 20s. And I got lucky. Neither myself nor nobody I was with or nobody else that I was involved with ever had an accident or ever got hurt. That was dumb luck. But I also wasn't a star athlete at a major university with the spotlight on me and with a coach and a staff that are supposed to be exercising some control over what these guys do and gals when they're not on the court or not on the field. And it's just almost like they're turning them loose. You know, how about have some control over your program? I find that at this level to be disappointing, if not disturbing. Because these are, Kirby Smart is now a giant in college football. This has become the best program in the country. At least right now. You know, it's been Alabama. Clemson kind of took it for a little bit. With everybody's old boy, everybody's favorite, Dabo. They've fallen back a touch. Alabama doesn't make the final four. And now it's two in a row for Georgia. So it's core. As we've said before on, the, on this show, it's Kirby Smart's world and everybody else is playing it. But Kirby, come on. Well, what's a recruiting coordinator doing to a 21 year old girl driving around over 100 miles an hour? under the influence of alcohol in a car that's supposed to be used for university purposes only. Just here's the keys, go party. What are we doing? What are we doing? She's gone. One of your players is gone. It's not just a fender bender. And they could have killed more people with them. I don't want to say fortunately they're the only ones. But, you know, we see these terrible accidents where it's not just one vehicle. It could have been two or three cars going 100 miles an hour. could have killed another half dozen people. When are they going to learn? It's unbelievable that in less than a two-month time span from when the events happened, and they just happened to overlap with when we really became knowledgeable of them once it became public, that two of the best players on two of the most prestigious programs in college sports. Of course, Alabama basketball isn't as high up as the football team is. They are this year. They are this year, right. They are this year. Right. That two of the star players were at murder scenes and just left. Well, the, 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 Jalen Carter comes the, back, the, obviously, and deals with everything. Not a murder scene, but. correct? Not a murder scene where two deaths occurred. Right. Multiple people on the teams are there, and we're just moving on with life. How quick we are to just brush stuff aside! Of all right, on to the next. And we do this with. Politics, religion, family, 
school they, shootings, they, they, everything NATO's, is just what's next. I, I don't I don't know how NATO's could come off looking and he, he puts his foot in his mouth. Uh, again, I don't know important facts, which we've discussed, that are still blank. I don't know answers to questions that I have that are important questions of which I need answers to before I can really make an assessment as to what I would like to see done with the player or players. But Nate Oates, just everything to him, he has no idea. No idea. How you could not know your players were going through the pat down, to me, is just, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's stunning. I'm drawing up plays on the whiteboard during introductions. I'm not, I'm not paying attention all year. They've been doing it all year. All year long. I have no idea. I, you, you just come off as being a complete buffoon. How about every answer for a uh, coach? What are you going to do about X? Oh, we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. It won't happen again. Well, what about Y? Oh, we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. It won't happen again. Well, how about Z? When he just came out and did that little warm-up there. Oh, we're dealing with it. It won't happen again. We're What the hell, man? Everything is just because somebody brought it to your attention. Oh, we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. We didn't realize. We didn't realize. That's on us. What are you doing? Well, what if nobody said anything? Everything would have just moved forward. Thankfully, there's reporters out there and people in the media that are seeing this shit and saying, hey, man, what are you doing about this? This is wrong. Oh, whoops, that's our fault. Well, we're dealing with it internally. We're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. We knew it. It was the wrong place, wrong time. Oh, I'm not sure what they do before the game. I'm trying to. Come on. You got people on your staff in PR that can give you these answers, dude. Just read from a fucking paper or something. It's, it's, You're making yourself just, look like an idiot. It, it, You're a good he, basketball he, coach. These aren't hard he, he, answers he, he, to have to come up with. He is an idiot. Just be a human. Be a person. He, 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 he has come off through this entire process like a clueless buffoon. It's as simple as that, as has the entire university. To not prevent them from doing that in the warm-ups after the entire country had this as a hot-button issue, it's, it's beyond reasonable belief. <laughs> all right? It, it, it is beyond all reasonable belief. What matters is after what transpired with your best player and one of his teammates and another one of your teammates, uh, now an ex-teammate, put, I mean, the most elementary piece of math is one in one. Is that so beyond you at Alabama? You, one in one, you can't get two out of it? You can't fucking figure it out? That whether it's because that's what they do in the octagon or it's a running joke or it's what you've been doing all year, that you basically, other than like pointing your finger at the guy and pulling the, pretending to pull the trigger, what could you possibly do that could look worse? 
right. after what has just transpired. Sit down and make a list of things that you could do that could be more offensive and try and come up with one other than what I just said. It's, it's, it's just mind-numbing that anyone and everyone from the president to the chancellor to the athletic director to sports information director to everyone in and connected to the University of Alabama coaching staff and players could not possibly have figured out we shouldn't do this tonight or any other night. But no, from a packed house, there they go. Pat them down. Pat them down. I just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I just, I, I can't believe people in that position. How do you rise to a position of that nature and be so fucking stupid? Exactly. Nothing happened. Can't, can't, can't figure it out. Nothing right? happened from it either. Can't figure it out. What happened was when they played Auburn at home in front of a packed house, his routine before the game makes it on the sports center, and they have to say, for those of you that are interested in how Brandon Miller introduced himself to the game, he did a little hip check here with his teammate, and now here's the highlights. What, what is what's happening? The last couple days in sports where it's that and then it's the news that the potential number one draft pick was drag racing a couple other teammates who weren't even driving the car, crashed, saw them crash, drove away. I don't know where he went, came back. Hey, were you racing? Nah, I was over here. I heard it. Oh, actually, I was. Everything's fine. What? Deaths happen in both these places with two of the best athletes in college athletics in two months' time. And we're just moving forward. He had to pay some fine to get out of bond, $4,000, wherever it was, and he went back to the combine. What if people always said they love about sports? It takes us away from all the problems. Of the real world. And yes, sports is not unique and extraordinary. Of course it has problems. We've seen tragedies, you know, with athletes in all sports. But for these two things to happen so close in time and for them to involve premier players in their respective sports at major universities, uh, top programs, and to see the reaction of the universities is, in, to me, pathetic. It's pathetic. Shame. What precedent does it set for the, the normal college student, the normal, quote-unquote, 21-year-old that finds himself in a similar situation? And he's arrested, and he's put through trial, and he's thrown in jail, and he's thinking, well, what the hell, man? The Alabama players had this happen to them. How come I'm being the scapegoat for this? They expelled me. I'm done. Threw the keys at me. Told me to get lost. Well, now remember, the Alabama player is he, under arrest. 
Okay, and and charged with uh, well, yes, in that in that instance, of course. But if if you were the person driving the car to get them there, and happen to be an Alabama student, would they get the same sort of treatment? I doubt it. If you're a Georgia chemistry major and you're a drag racing your buddy and they hit a tree and you drive away and you come back, you think they're just going to say, Oh yeah, pay the bond and we'll be in touch. What? (laughs) I mean, it's just, I just can't imagine that. First of all, that these situations happen in general, it doesn't matter who you are. It's a shame that the situations happen to college students period for that. Awful. I mean, you mentioned I did stupid things too in college. We lucked out that nothing happened. I, you know, did did I did this stuff? I don't want to say that. Well, I wasn't going to be a number one draft pick in the NBA slash NFL to where you would hope that you're surrounded by people to say, "Hey, man, maybe let's not drive there today. Maybe let's get an Uber home. Maybe let's not do this." Looking out for your future endeavors. Yeah, because, Maybe let's get yeah, an Uber home. We, we didn't have access to those kind of things. No. You would hope we're around those people. But that doesn't take away from what happened anyway. You shouldn't necessarily need those outside sources to just know. Bring the gun. Hey, man, I'm good. How about I just come pick you up and get the hell out of here? Hey, you want to drag race back to our place after we celebrated this national championship? Like, remember the Titans? And we'll get into a fucking wreck like Gary Bertier? No, no, I'm good. Let's just take separate cars, go our separate ways, drive normal. We don't need to drag race home and see who wins. We've already won the national championship, man. We've won already. We don't need to win a race. And again, what's she doing with the car? What is she doing having access to the car? What are you doing getting in the car? Any of them, because I'm sure they were drinking too. He had no sign of alcohol. No sign Just of alcohol. crazy stories. And they're close together, so obviously they're lumped in a little bit. Of course. The it, programs it just, are close and rivals. Just, they're it, lumped in a little bit. It just exacerbates the entire situation. It's Alabama. It's Georgia. It's the national champs. It's a one or two ranked basketball team in the country who's obviously, you know, a, a football powerhouse as well. So it, it, it couldn't. And obviously, they're close together. They're both in the SEC. It's a train wreck. I shouldn't use that term, but it's it's a terrible tragedy on all fronts. The universities come off looking. My my point of all this is that both universities come off looking horrible. Mine too. I'm not rooting for Jalen Carter to not get drafted number one. I'm not rooting for Brandon Miller to not get drafted number one. I'm not doing nothing to do with that. That's not it's got it. to do with your college. It's got to do with the impact that this has on college athletics and the lack of control and the lack of supervision and the just you know, Wild West scenario of just turn these kids loose. For your best players. I'm not saying you need to be like Jerry Jones and follow Des Bryant around with two, three goons to the club to make sure he doesn't do anything stupid that he used to do with him. You don't need personal security because, well, this is our number one player. We got to make sure that he's under wraps. And we can... But just use sense that you would as a coach, as an administration, as a faculty for students. 
a team. There has to be stuff in place of, hey, we don't mind what you're doing on the weekends, but make sure you're just doing X, Y, Z. That's all. And if you don't, here's what you might end up facing or the consequences to those actions. Because you're not going to tell a college kid, you're not going out tonight, even though it's Saturday. The game's over. We don't practice Sunday. You can't go out. You got to stay home. You can't be a college student. I mean, that's stupid. But this is the extreme to that, no question. There just has to be some discussions amongst these schools as to what happened. And they just kind of looked at it and were like, all right, well, they didn't get charged with anything by the police, so we're good, right? It's it's extremely disappointing, to say the least. As we wrap it up, I query you this, young man. When we next speak, the next episode of this tremendous podcast, the franchise tag deadline will have come and gone. Will the quarterback of my favorite football team, which went through a very tough day, which we didn't get to discuss, that's Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Will he, A, be signed to a contract with the Baltimore Ravens? B, have the exclusive franchise tag slapped on him, as they say, or C, be hit with the non-exclusive franchise tag. You got a one in three shot. (laughs) How did we get to this moment? First of all, how are there so many different tags that you can throw onto a player in the National Football League? It's a good question, too. Exclusive, non-exclusive. We'll just sign you normal. Uh, I will go with. How about the exclusive franchise tag? Wouldn't that net him 45, 40, 45 million, 48 million, 48 million. About 48 million. Let's go with that one. The exclusive franchise tag is my go-to guess. Okay. I am going to take a flyer on the following. I'm going to give you a multifaceted answer. I am going to say as follows. If they sign him, my number is still going to be what it's been. $175 million of it will be guaranteed. That's been my prediction. I'm sticking with it. However, I don't think they're going to sign him in that time frame. I think they will slap him with the non-exclusive franchise tag which will allow him to go out and make his best deal and see what comes back on that deal. Because then the question becomes, is anybody going to give him all that guaranteed money? And I heard a very good point today from um, Mark Dominic, who's an incredibly bright guy, former GM, Super Bowling GM. And here's the point he raised, which is very interesting. Well, there's a, all it takes is one team. The Browns are the most hated team in football by the owners because this is all, this standoff is because of the moronic contract, the outlier that they gave to Sean Watson. If somebody 
does it again in a circumstance which is extraordinary, not extraordinary, which was Deshaun Watson's scenario, where it was necessary to get him to agree to be traded to you. You basically become the team now that's going to set the standard, which is a great point. Who is now going to want to be that team that sets that standard? With Joe Burrow coming, with the rest of the young quarterbacks coming behind him and their rookie deals ready to expire and looking for their next contracts and now all going to look for guaranteed money because the Deshaun Watson deal is no longer an outlier. This team offered Lamar Jackson $225 million fully guaranteed. Who's going to want to be that team? And if somebody does it, you would say, all right, he's worth it. They did it. So you can't blame us for matching it because we need to keep them. So you're off the hook with the rest of the owners because you didn't do it. Somebody else did. And you owners all know you all want and we all need a starting quarterback, a great starting quarterback. And for me to let him go uh, for a couple of first-round draft choices, I really can't do that. So since it wasn't me and you can't blame me, I'll match it. Or he doesn't get that kind of deal. He gets... $150 $150 million guaranteed or $175 guaranteed, which you're willing to pay. You match it. No harm, no foul. Or you don't just have to say, okay, I'm not going to match it. I'll take your first-round draft pick this year and your first-round draft pick next year. You can negotiate. You still have the ability to say to that team, okay, we're not going to match it on the following conditions. We don't want your first this year and your first next year. Let's say it's for argument Seattle. We want both your firsts this year and your second round pick, which was Denver's, which obviously you know, unfortunately, uh, which is an early pick in the second round. And if we don't get those, and we don't want your pick next year, you can keep your first round pick next year. We want the picks now. We want those two first-round picks and your early pick in the second round. And we won't match. And if they say no, you can say, all right, we'll match. And you get nothing out of it. You don't get the quarterback you want. So there are options which I think are better for the Ravens if they put the non-exclusive tag on them because it gives them really a wide-open field and it allows Lamar Jackson to go and see what somebody's willing to pay him. See if he's really going to truly get that guaranteed money that he wants so badly, regardless of what Stephen A. Smith may say, the you know, Prince of Pontification, who somehow, some way, which is what I'll close with. Uh, you know, but it gives the Ravens the other 
option of not being the team to offer the guaranteed money. Let somebody else do it. And then you're not in bad stead. Steve Biscotti's not in bad stead with the rest of the owners. You're not the guy in the room that nobody's talking to, like it is with the, you know, the war criminals in Cleveland. And then, of course, you have His Highness, everybody kissing Stephen A. Smith now with his, with his new book, which I you know, wouldn't read it if you gave it to me. But more importantly, you know, he's, his sources, his sources, Stephen A's told us now last week that Lamar Jackson's camp, contrary to what everyone has reported, all the reliable sources who cover the league at ESPN and elsewhere have said that Lamar Jackson has always demanded a fully guaranteed contract. The, Lamar's camp reached out to him to tell him that's not true. Well, Stephen A., riddle me this. Lamar doesn't have an agent. So does that mean Lamar or his mom reached out to you? Because they're the only two in his camp. Those are the negotiators. Lamar is negotiating directly with Eric Costa, with assistance from his mom and the NFL Players Association, who, by the way, has told him throughout, as per DeMora Smith, that of the Players Association, to fight for a fully guaranteed contract. So who in his camp are you talking to? As usual, Stephen A., the blowhard, the prince of pontification, throwing it up against the wall, See if anybody will slip. I'm not criticizing anybody here, any of the reporters here, that do a fine job. I'm just telling you that their camp has reached out to me. What's their camp? A pup tent, all right, in Lamar Jackson's backyard? Who's in the camp? He didn't have a camp. That ain't him. More tomfoolery, more idiocy. More, let me make a name for myself from Stephen A. Smith, who knows as much about the NFL as somebody who just beamed here from, let's say, Uganda. Remember, as I said to Mike Melsa the other day, this is the guy who on Sports Reporters many, many moons ago sat there showing his expertise with the National Football League and said they should kick the field goal on third down because if they miss it, they can kick it again. He didn't know a fucking thing about the NFL with his cowboy hat rooting against Dallas and laughing his ass off and make a complete fool of himself every time he opens his mouth. So I firmly believe that Lamar Jackson is seeking a fully guaranteed contract. And if that's what he wants... I don't think he's going to get it from the Ravens on this go-round. He might get it on the route that we just discussed on a match, but I don't think he'll get it on a first offer. And I really think that what Mark Dominic, I'm giving him the credit for because he deserves it, I think the rationale with which he described them giving him the non-exclusive tag makes a ton of sense on all fronts. Michael Kay was a guest on First Take on Thursday morning, and Stephen A. asked him, which team in New York do you think will win a championship first? And Michael K. said, the Rangers. Stephen A. said, uh, not hockey teams. Let's stick to NFL, MLB, and NBA. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm impressed he knew that the Rangers were a hockey team. <laughs> Texas? No. New York. 
So there's where Stephen A's at. Just stick to the script, man. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. As always, the pleasure is all mine, folks. We thank you for being with us. From my partner, the great John Tiny Lot. Enjoy your college basketball. Uh, we will talk to you next week. And until then, have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well. Or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.